I was going to tell you to turn to Ezekiel 22, but I'm actually not going to read from Ezekiel 22. If you guys were with us last week, just kind of taking a couple of weeks to, to engage something that is engaging us right now at a, at a pretty strong level. And I think you just want to hear what, what does God sound like when he engages the problems of our day? And that's what we got from Ezekiel. Ezekiel was, was front row seats for life to being done in the city of Jerusalem, right? So that's where we were last week. City of Jerusalem is, is doing life and God shows up in a moment and he, and he, he kind of puts his foot down and he says, enough. The way you guys are doing this, it needs to stop. It needs to get addressed. And there was some imagery created in that chapter about, about how the human heart is bent in on its own purposes in such a way that it generated for them a new labeling of the city. This city was called the Holy City. When you find Jerusalem being described in the Old Testament, it's the Holy City. It's the city of God. It's where God has revealed himself. Probably you'd say more than anywhere else on earth, God has been revealed there. And yet, Ezra was told, Ezekiel was told, they are no longer the holy city. They are the bloody city. They had become a city that was neglecting each other, that was hurting each other, that was taking one another's lives. They were characterized by idolatry. There was sexual abuse going on in the city. There was, those with power were abusing the power that God had ordained for them to have. And the influence that they were bringing now into the people was corrupt. And they were using that power for their own gain. And selfish gain gets mentioned a lot in that chapter. But isn't that the story of every city? I mean, if you really think about cities, think about urban centers. And if you grew up in rural America, you got a little bit of a feel for this, right? When you go to the big city, there's a reputation there. There's something to be concerned about. If you go to the big city, you know, it's, it's going to be different. People are going to be different there. You know, why is that? Why is the familiar story of human experience that people are going to turn on one another and harm one another? And, and that's the noise of our day, isn't it? I mean, we're watching that in the news. We're watching it play out in, in heartbreaking ways. And so when we go to troubleshoot life, because that's what we do, right? I mean, the news every night seems to be like it's trying to troubleshoot life. It's trying to interact with a situation that happened. And then it's trying to say, if we would just stop this or just do that, right? It's offering to troubleshoot the world that we live in. But where would we go with that, right? I want to I highlight two things. If you were going to notice these situations, I just want to notice two things with you today about, about our society. And I've called this little group of messages social revolutions, and this one is social revolutions need the ultimate revolution. But when you look out into our world and situations arise, and you heard about them in the news this week, how do you respond to that? What's the feeling that's inside of you when you hear the news items of common activity that's ended in tragedy? Well, God's response in Ezekiel 22 is outrage. God responds with outrage. God looks on human inflicted suffering with outrage. And he has been patient to this moment, but he says, time is up. He actually tells Ezekiel that the time has come. 
And he tells the city, who's going to rescue you from what I'm about to do? God is outraged. But you know, God's not the only one outraged, right? I mean, there's a, there's a sense of outrage in us. Even if it's not adequate, there's at least something in us that says, that's not how you treat people. Right? We've all been exposed to the worst of what humanity has to bring. I didn't pay attention to this when I was younger. I can remember the news items uh, when you're younger and situations around the world that were getting described. I remember the unrest in Cambodia. I remember you know, hearing Cambodia in the news day in and day out sometimes. And there was a situation in Cambodia where a leader in that time, a fellow named Pol Pot, he killed millions of people in Cambodia under his ruler. Millions of people. Can you get, get your mind around that? I mean, I'm, I'm outraged watching the FedEx situation that happened this week. That people went to work one day and someone walked in and took, I think it was eight lives and shot several others. And, and you just know the human tragedy that just came into their lives. I mean, we're watching George Floyd's situation play out on TV. And, and you see these things and something in us rightly rises up and says, that's not how these stories should go. Where's that come from? Well, it's two things in the Bible I'm going to highlight today. Doc, this, is, this is the doctrine of creation that gives that awareness to us. There's something about humanity that we hold with a certain unique value. Human beings have intrinsic value. That's why it's outrageous when these kinds of things happen. Greg Kukul's book, The Story of Reality, I've appreciated reading his book. He says, when we consider humans and the conditions we are in, two things immediately become obvious. Man is very much like everything else in the created world in one way, but he is completely unlike anything else in the created world in another way. We are, in fact, the most wonderful creatures in the world next to God. Man, as he was from the beginning, man as he is in himself, man in his essential nature is wonderful. There's something there is a certain beauty about being human that sets man apart from everything else. Right, you'll notice this, you know, maybe today, finally with some sunshine, you'll be driving home. People will be working in their yard today. All right, here's what's a possibility. It's springtime, and this is going to happen in my yard at some point, but then it may happen in, in yours as well. There's going to be this massive ant pile in your yard at some point. And there's going to be a guy, and you're going to drive down the street, and you're going to see a guy out there sprinkling stuff all over the top of it. You know what's about to happen to all those ants? Come on, let's, let's be honest. They're about to die. Millions of them are about to die. And you know what none of us are going to do? None of us are going to pull over and make a case for them. None of us are going to be outraged. What? What are you doing? Millions of ants are dying. You know, we're not going to do that at all. But when one human being's life is inflicted with loss, there's an appropriate outrage in us because there's something in God's created order that gives humanity this dignity that's unique in all of his creation, right? But it's God who gives this. 
Kugel goes on and says, I'm not talking about anything that models or movie stars or Mother Teresa have and others don't have or, or anything physical or anything any particular human does or any personal virtues an individual possesses, right? I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about people are special because somehow they've done something for us or to us that we deem as special. So now you get to be treated as special, right? Isn't that kind of what happens though? When you look at social unrest around us, there are people who are very hostile and unrestful at some regard to others, but then there's another group that they're cool with. They get along with them. They're part of their family. They're part of their social group. They're part of their tribe. And then there's another group that they don't get that status and they don't get treated that way, right? So there's not in the world an intrinsic value. You have to earn some value with people. You want to be treated in a special way, do something special towards me. But, but that's not the value that's in the Bible that we find for people. Kugel goes on and says, I'm talking about something true of all people who ever lived simply because they are humans and for no other reason. No matter how good or bad they are or how attractive or misshapen or small or smart or young or old, even so young or so old or so feeble or broken, they are of no use to us or even to themselves. The worth you and I have is built right in. It's with us from the first instant of our beginning and follows us wherever we go, no matter what shape we take. No matter what skin color, no matter what economic background, no matter whether your personality annoys the fire out of me, there's something about the dignity that God has given you as being a human being created by God that gives you an intrinsic value that God has given to you. So if that's true, why why can't we just get along with each other? Why can't we just treat each other appropriately? Why these horrible stories over and over and over again? Right? And isn't that what's, what's trying to be answered when you stare into these moments and something terrible has happened and, and then we, the follow-up conversations are about uh, gun laws, hate crimes, right? What's happening in that moment? Well, there's a human commentary now. There, there's a voice that's coming in and saying, hey, you know, you want this to stop? Get this societal dimension right and you'll get that to stop. And I, I'll give folks an A for effort. I mean, there's, there's, there's some drastic measures that need to be taken to corral the evil that's happening in our world. But the Bible not only teaches us about the, the doctrine of human dignity, it also teaches us about the doctrine of human depravity. That there's something going on in each and every human being that you and I need to understand. We need to understand it about ourselves. And it's, it features the word brokenness. We are broken, right? In your outline, I wrote, there's something intrinsically wrong in our world that finds its way into every human life, every generation, and every people group, right? Racial and ethnic tensions and hostility testify that there's something wrong on the inside of us that generates 
that context. Social revolutions that have dotted every century. You know, as I said last week, social revolutions get created when the oppression of one group gets so bad that another group finally organizes itself against it and brings pressure back and pushes back and they start a revolution. Revolutions sit underneath umbrellas of governmental systems because the governments get created out of those revolutions. So you've had governments that are monarchies and dynasties. You've had tribal governments. There's been socialism, communism, capitalism. There are dictatorships in the world. There's democracy in the world. And that's an interesting one for us. Because, you know, ever since I was a kid, it, it felt as though uh, the United States had a form of evangelism going on in all the world, right? We were trying to export democracy to everybody. You know, this is, this is the way to do it. This is the way to do human government. And, and, and I'll be honest with you, I, I, I'm impressed with what the founding fathers came up with. I mean, they thought, they thought some stuff through. Uh, they saw oppression and they saw individuals and they tried to create a system where individual rights could be established, I think they, you know, they thought through justice systems. They thought through the corruption in government and balances of power and all those things. There's great ideas in our, in our form of democratic government. And then we kind of promote that to the world. But, you know, when we stare in on ourselves right now, can, can we all confess democracy has not rescued us, has it? Our day is as socially unrestful as any day has been. The problems within the human society have traveled from generation to generation, from government to government, from sea to shining sea. I mean, they just, it goes wherever people go. And it does not appear as though any of those societal efforts have fixed the situation. And the Bible teaches us something that explains that. It's called the doctrine of human depravity. Greg Kokel picks it up. He says, now... We must talk about another way humans are special. It's not anything attractive or wonderful, though. It's something dark and disturbing and sinister. Probably the simplest way to say it is this. Even though man is beautiful, he is also broken. Yes, man is noble, but he's also cruel. Most attempts to explain the world that are popular nowadays do not, it seems to me, do the job. One school of thought says man's real problem is that society has failed him in some way. That's that's a default setting. There's a problem here, and it's erupted, and it's become a news item, and people are paying a price for it. And the default setting is to say, what created that? What social activity, what social neglect, what social failure is to blame for what just happened with that person and how it spilled over into other lives. Google goes on and says, people, this is that one view, he says, that view says people are bad because they're uneducated. And if they were just instructed properly, they would be a lot nicer to each other. Or folks falter because they're poor. Poverty causes crime. And if wealth were spread around a bit more evenly, then people wouldn't take things that did not belong to them. Eliminate ignorance and poverty, they say, and crime would pretty much be eliminated too. I can't read past that line without thinking of my own personal experience. 
people would stop taking things that don't belong to them. Um, the Lord saved me as a young teenager, but before that time, I was building a resume, and part of my resume was as a thief. So I didn't steal because I was poor. I mean, we were middle class, and my parents did a good job of providing for our needs. Uh, if I showed up in your backyard, and if you lived in my neighborhood at some point, I probably would. If you left your car open, or even if I learned how to break into your car, it was just because you left something on the seat that was curious to me. And so I didn't steal from you because I was desperately in need. It was a little bit of a sport. And it was a little bit just because you had something that I wanted. And that's all I needed. That's all my heart needed. Because you just weren't that important to me. And what I wanted was important to me. Kugel goes on and says, no, ignorance and poverty are not the problem. They are problems, but they're not the problem. Neither education nor economics gets to the real root of man's woes. So we're back to where we started. Man is beautiful, but man is broken. There simply is no getting around it. Something has gone terribly or deeply wrong with us. And the problem is not in our education or in our pocketbooks or in the cultural contract or in our genes. The evil in the world, it's not out there. It's in us. So as we talk about this moment where it feels like, as I mentioned last week, I I feel like our country in a bit, just in the context that we live in, we're not the only country in the world, is is in 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 the midst of something that feels like a social revolution, like things that have happened in the past, where situations and conflicts rise to a level where there's just not harmony, and it's going to end in some form of revolution. And it feels like we're kind of in the midst of that right now. But, but the question is, right, revolutions are about change. That's why people bring revolutions. But revolutions acknowledge that things are broken and that the sense of brokenness drives people to take drastic measures. But what does a revolution really need to change? Right now, if I had never read my Bible... And I stared out at this because, you know, I'm, 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 I'm losing, using the, the bigger social settings of our lives, right? Our, our governments and our, our, the communities that we live in. But, but social unrest takes place in the home that you live in, right? Wherever two people are gathered together, there's society happening, right? There's people who have interests next to another person who have, has interests, Right? So we have to figure out how to do this when we're husbands and wives, when we're parents and children, when we have extended family, when people that we work with. This isn't just a societal, racial, ethnic thing. This is what happens when the thing being described by Ezekiel is true of us. There is this bent. There's something bent on the inside of us in on itself. Right, So there was something about us that we were other-oriented in creation. God had made us for his glory. So we're aimed at him. We were mindful of him. We wanted everything that existed to find its way back to God and make much of God and celebrate God and enjoy God. We wanted to do that with each other. Our motives toward one another would have been that. But then sin entered in. And when that happened, whatever that thing that directed itself to God, sin touched it and bent it this way. And so now you and I walk around, every one of us, with this sense of self-awareness that that I have a need and and, and I want something and I've got to have and I'm desperate and I'm driven and I'm panicking and I'm fearful. That's, That's what sin has done to the human being. And when you show up in Jerusalem, 
you get to meet people in Ezekiel 22 who the bent in on themselves has produced all kinds of social problems and all kinds of relational unrest. So what exactly needs to be fixed in this revolution? Well, Jesus gathered with a crowd who was very externally minded, right? I mean, the, the, the days that Jesus walked with people, they, they were very much noticing the things out there, even religious people. They, they very much were into what was going on outside, outside. What was the outside behavior taking place? And Jesus engages that in Mark chapter 7. Verse 14, he's having a conversation with folks who are religiously very concerned about the exteriors. And he said, he called the people to him again. And he said to them, hear me, all of you, and understand. There's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and he left the people... His disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, well, then are you also without understanding, right? So Jesus has this moment with his disciples. They've walked and they've heard him say something that sounds so strange to them because everybody had been teaching them. The societal noise that they were around was the problems out there. And Jesus is saying, wait, wait, there's a fundamental problem with man and you don't understand it. And so he's going to explain it to them. He says, do you not see that? Whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him. Since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, it's expelled. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of the person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting. I just, I just want what you got. Right? It's interesting, you know, when we went through Ezekiel 22, if you were with us last week, God cataloged the things that were going on. He pointed out, he had a list that sounded a lot just like this. There was coveting taking place. There was murder taking place. There was theft taking place. There was adultery and sexual immorality taking place. This list was taking place. So if you zoomed in on Jerusalem and you were saying, man, look at that. It's like a dust cloud of sin. Where's that coming from? According to Jesus, all these evil things, verse 23, come from within. And they defile a person. So to, to zoom in on Jerusalem and to figure out why Why is this place so dysfunctional? Why is there so much sin? Why is there so much hurt between people? And to listen to Jesus say, well, that that came from within the people that were there. It came out of their own hearts. So question, how much does this, I think I wrote this in your outline there. How much does this diagnosis of the human condition inform your approach to human troubleshooting? Right? Right? Are we seeking to change things from the outside in? Or do we see the Bible speaking about change that needs to revolutionize us from the inside out? Right, so yeah, yeah this, is a, this is a good discussion for us to have as, as a culture, as a country, etc. This is a pretty, pretty good conversation for husbands and wives to have. 
for people in conflict to have with one another. Because the noise that we hear is, hey, if you bump into a smoke cloud of sin that's going off in human relationships, look what's going on out there to figure out why that's taking place. That's the mantra. So as soon as a news item comes, you're pointed to the surroundings, not to the heart. But Jesus points to the human heart. And you know, when you, when you diagnose the real problem, you can cure the real problem, right? Which is, which is what Jesus is going to do. An interesting thing to, to notice about Ezekiel 22, and you wouldn't notice this just racing past it quickly, but in the, in the context of human beings doing life together in the same space, did you know this is a well-educated group? Of all the cities on earth, you would have found Jerusalem to be one of the better educated groups because God was an educator, right? God brought insights into them. They had the same ethnic background. Sure, you'd have had a, a few sojourners among them, but for the most part, they were the same ethnicity. They weren't impoverished. Right? As a matter of fact, Jerusalem had gone through a season before Isaiah that was one of the most prosperous seasons in the history of the nation of Israel. And so, yet that didn't rescue them from going sideways into idolatry and turning the holy city into the bloody city. So it's, it's an interesting social experiment for us to stare back at what's already existed and not just to take us as the first people to encounter these problems. Right? Back then in Jerusalem, what if they just had better laws? What if there was just better legislation, better laws? Uh, they had God's law. There wasn't a better law available to them. God had revealed himself and had put things into human behavior patterns that were a law. What if they had better ethnic connections? Uh, they didn't have to adjust a whole lot for each other's ethnicity because they shared the same background. Well, what if their story, that they could all agree with their background and their history and their ancestry was all the same because their ancestors had fought the same fights and the same battles. And now they, this generation was together because we faced the same enemies in the past. Wait, that's exactly what was their story. That was Jerusalem's story. Their generations and ancestors before them had faced the same wars, the same oppression, the same enemies. Yet they're killing each other, stealing from each other, creating a system of government that the power brokers have more and you have less. I remember this is the same system that I mentioned a few weeks ago that Jesus shows up in the temple and he dumps the tables over because people had taken something and turned it into a means of taking from people. Not because they had all the same problems we have, but because they have the same problem that we have in here. So when Ezekiel lays out and God lays out in Ezekiel 22, here's man's condition. How do you fix this? God, what's the solution for this social brokenness between people? Well, Ezekiel chapter 36, which we'll get to unpack further, but not today. Ezekiel 36, God says... I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols, I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart 
and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So when God stares out at at human dysfunction and says, here's where you go to fix that, he goes to the heart of man. And he says, you're going to need a different heart. You're going to need a new heart. I'm going to have to give it to you. You can't do this yourself. And, And this is the consistent testimony of scripture. When God engages the brokenness of humanity, he goes to the heart and that's the place where the revolution needs to take place. Right? Let me give you one more passage. This is, this is uh, putting the human heart under a microscope, if you will. Romans chapter 7 is, is Paul taking us to the inside. Paul going on the inside of his own heart. And quite honestly, he's a little puzzled with himself. And so if you're a little bit like, hey, I'm a little puzzled by me. Well, Paul's right with us. He's a little puzzled by his own activity as well. But it's almost like he takes a little sliver of the insides of him and he sets it underneath a microscope and he dials that thing in and he starts telling us what he sees on the inside of us. Romans 7 verse 1. He says, do you not know, brothers? For I'm speaking to those who know the law. All right now, he's just about to describe a lot of problems in human behavior. The problem isn't that they didn't have a law. The problem isn't that they had bad laws. The problem isn't that nobody suggested good legislation. That's not the problem. You guys know the law. Paul acknowledged it. You're educated and you know the law. But this is a description of what's going on on the inside. Verse 5. While we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. I love the the personification here. Like we're being introduced to a whole bunch of people who are on the inside of us doing stuff that we didn't know what they were doing. They're sinful passions and they're at work. It's like these guys have an employment record in our members. Verse eight, but sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. Apart from the law, sin lies dead. Sin produced in me all kinds of covetousness. Just stop for a second and think with Paul. It's like Paul just described something that you may not have known was going on inside of us. Did you know that you have a production factory inside of you? Did you know that people show up to work every day in that production facility? they punch the clock. They high five one another. They say, let's get it done today, guys. There's music playing in the background. There's motivational speakers who come and help them do their job. And they're very excited. You know what they want to do? Hey guys, we're here today to produce covetousness and Keith. And they're high-fiving each other and they're at work and there's a little smoke billowing out of the top of their little factory. And there's a production line and it looks like an Amazon thing with boxes coming out of it. And next thing you know, next thing you know, I want all kinds of things for me. Where did that come from? There's just a box of this and a box of that and a box of protection and a box of advancement and a, and a box of trinkets and toys and pleasures. All kinds of stuff. I, I just want it all. Verse nine. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive. It's like, oh, open for business. Now hiring. 
Verse 11, for sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it, killed me. It's kind of interesting how Paul almost describes himself as, as removed from this situation. Like, this is what's going on on the inside? Is it, is it a little disturbing to you? I've always kind of, I mean, it's, a, it's a sweet thing to, you know, you're going to have a baby, you know, you're pregnant. But, you know, as a guy looking on to that, it's kind of like, uh, is it kind of creepy that there's another human being inside of you besides you? You know, that whole thought, it's kind of like, that's kind of, hmm. Not, 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 not to make you feel weird, Crystal, but that, that just kind of, there's another person inside of you right now, you know, just kind of hanging out in there. This is almost described as somebody, this isn't you, right? This, this thing is going on inside of you and, and it's part of who you are, but it's kind of like, did you, did you know this was going on inside of you? Like this workforce, this thing? I mean, I, I remember, you know, you've never been diagnosed with cancer. Uh, there's something about cancer that's very alarming because it feels like it's another person inside of you. It's like they don't have the same game plan as you. Like all the rest of your cells, you know, they're on board. Hey, we're on board. We're here for health. We're here to support you. We want to get you where you're going, Keith. We're all for you, man. Cancer comes along and says, who are you again? Nah, I'm here to do my own thing. I'll let you know when I'm done. And it's got its own agenda. And, the, and the, your, your cancer doctor sits down with you and explains cancer and how the cell operates. And you kind of realize, ooh, that's, that's scary. That's really creepy because... Something else inside of me has its own will to do whatever it feels like doing today. And Paul almost describes, welcome to your innards. This is what's going on inside of you. Verse 14, he says, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I, I'm a flesh sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want but I do the very thing I hate. I don't understand. Listen, behind all these news stories are situations that have ended horribly and tragically that if we could have conversations with the perpetrators, how many of them would sound like that at some level? I saw the picture of the, he was a boy, he was like 19 years old who shot the people in the FedEx facility. 19 years old. He looked like he was 15 years old. I wonder, do you understand what he was doing? He ended people's lives for reasons that I don't think anybody's going to find easy to understand. It, would he describe what the apostle Paul described? I don't understand my own actions. I do the very thing I hate. I, I got to believe at some level in his humanity, there's a sense that what a step to take another person's life. You're just going to end their life. You don't even know them. And their life has lost all value to you. Can you explain that about yourself? But yet Paul said, you know, there's certain things about how something is operating on the inside of us that's really, really hard to understand. And he says, for I know... Paul said that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what's right, but not the ability to carry it out. What if that's, what if that's true? I mean, it is the Bible, right? What if that's true? What if the human condition stands in confession and agreement with that? 
says, you know, even as a human being, I could desire something that's right. I mean, I've, I've met people who desire to stop engaging pornography. They have a desire to stop committing adultery. I've met people who desire, they, they want to do the right thing, but they seem to not have the ability to carry it out. This is informing, right? You and I live in a world that I get, I mean, there's a common grace dimension that, you know, speed limits and systems of government that put laws in place that, that help people live in the same spaces together. That's all good. That should exist. But, but there's an activity inside the human heart that people don't have the ability to get control and mastery over. That's what Paul says. Verse 21, he says, so I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. How frustrating is this? Wretched man that I am. Oh, who will deliver me? Listen to this phrase. From this body of death. Listen, I understand he's not standing in the public square. He's not giving a speech before Congress. But when Paul locates the epicenter of the human drama and its problems, he doesn't say, who will deliver me from these people out there? He says, who will deliver me from this body of death? I just put it under a microscope and I find out there's this production factory on the inside of me that it puts stuff out every day. And that's true of all of us. And when it pumps out things of self-interest, I find myself deceived by that. And I can't seem to put other people's interests ahead of mine. And I take advantage of my wife or my children. I'm deceitful. I take on activities and practices that harm other people. Where'd that come from? You didn't go to the right school. You didn't get a big enough pay raise. Those things might touch your life. But according to this, there's something going on inside of me. It's powerful and it's influential and it shows up and it's deceptive and it's effective. And, it's, and it holds people captive. This is an inner reality. And Paul is frustrated at this inner human reality when he says, wretched man that I am, who, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And this is where social revolutions meet gospel people. Gospel people have an understanding. God has given us an understanding. It's like Jesus had to sit down with his disciples and say, hey, God, you don't understand this either. I just had a group meeting where a lot of other people didn't understand this. Can I just tell you the, the problems inside of you? It's what's going on inside of you that's got to get fixed. And, and I'm the only one who can fix it. You can't fix each other. You can't self-fix. There's not a program out there. There's nothing out there that can fix the human heart except Jesus Christ. This is what makes the gospel so unique. The condition of humanity only finds its release from Jesus Christ. There's nobody else who can crawl into the inside of us, cut the wiring, 
shut the factory down, put, it, put that thing out of business, change the function of the human heart. Bob doesn't say you and I can do that. And it doesn't say you can do it for me. It says that God can do that. Kevin, you can come back up. I know I saw you somewhere. Let me say something careful here, right? Read the whole Bible, right? We don't, we don't just grab parts of it and say, hey, ignore everything else, make a point out of this. Um, right, so when I, when I read the whole Bible, I find that God puts things in place like governments, right? Romans 13, government is, is ordained by God. Governments exist by the hand of God. So he puts people in authority. They function with ideas. They create rules and boundaries for human behavior. And God says he ordains that, so, so this is not to blow that off and <clears throat> say, hey, the only thing we're going to talk about is the human heart and we're not going to pay attention to any laws. We're, we're, we're not going to try and engage any help in our, in our social structures. No. No, those things are ordained by God to bring common grace into our world. This is not new to anybody here, though. Did you, did you know the... the there's not a government that exists that can change even one single human heart. There will never be a law that gets passed that finally, finally, Congress passed this one law that once it got voted on and passed, the human hearts just begin to change all over the place, right? That, that doesn't happen. Doesn't mean there's not a place for laws and doesn't mean we shouldn't vote and support laws that help our society. But when I stand with the Apostle Paul and I stand next to Ezekiel and I walk with Jesus, there's something on the inside of humanity. We know about that something because the Bible has told us about it. And there's something that can happen to every human heart that has a storyline. My heart, your heart, if you're watching, your heart. The Apostle Paul saw the inner workings of these powerful forces frustrating forces that he couldn't get an upper hand on. He couldn't change his motivation. He couldn't seem to overcome them. He even could get to the place where he was taught enough to know that he wanted to do something different than that. He at least wanted something different in his life. And then he would say, but I'm not able. And Ezekiel saw this day when he saw God who would sprinkle clean water on us and make us clean from our impurities and from our idols that had taken up place in our heart. When he said he would give us a new heart and remove from us that old heart. And into that heart, he would place his spirit and he would empower us to obey him and to walk with him. That's a whole different deal. Right? Be, be careful. Be careful. Be, be aware there is a remedy for the struggles that you and I have. Our struggles within our own homes, they might not look exactly like things that we see on the news but they have the same inner workings as what we see. And what the gospel comes to us and says, but Jesus Christ, he can come into that place and he can do this exchange number. He can take that heart that belonged to you and he can give you a new heart. And that heart will begin to beat differently inside of you. That heart begin to push its way out through your life. It would transform the things that you want. And that's what Ezekiel saw. He saw the brokenness of that holy city that had turned bloody city. And he said, but there's coming a day, there's coming a day when God's going to do this. He's going to send his Messiah and that Messiah is going to break through for us. And he's going to bring us before God and God's going to give us a new heart. 
Let's stand up together and pray. Lord, I thank you that as we kind of read these words for, for many of us, we can remember a place in our lives. We're doing life ourselves, and managing our own lives became so frustrating to us and discouraging. Lord, there, there were things about us. Oh, we didn't like them, but we couldn't change them. There was fallout in other people's lives. There was hurt. There was guilt. There was shame. And God, we came to learn we were powerless to change those things. These things were bigger than us. God, I thank you that I know folks here are able to tell the story about that day, that day when Jesus Christ came into my life and things begin to change from the inside out. Things in my life that I never could put a dent in, suddenly they, they begin to move and they begin to change shape and new things showed up in my heart. Listen, if you're here this morning and <clears throat> maybe that hasn't happened for you yet. If you're watching our live stream and you're more in touch with the frustration of a life that just feels broken and full of things that you wish weren't this way, but you can't seem to stop them. I got good news. I got incredibly good news for you. You can't stop them. You can't. You can paint them a different color. You can move them to a different side of the room, but you can't stop those things. But Jesus Christ can change those things. He can come work from the inside out. He can give you a new heart and a new life and new interests and new passions and new desires so that you begin to walk in those things. He said he would cause us to walk in these things. And you can come to a place this morning where you open your heart and surrender to God and you say, God, I, I don't have it all figured out, but I want in on that deal. Would you come? Would you come into my life this morning? Listen, if that's where you are, would you, would you have a conversation with God? This is how God does this in our lives. He takes the faith that we extend to him and he dwells in our hearts through that faith. So if you want to reach out to God this morning, just close your eyes just for a minute. Just talk to God. Just tell him, Lord, what I've heard this morning, I need your help. But I can think of many struggles in my life. I can think of sins that have affected my life. Lord, I, I know I need your forgiveness. So God, I, I come to you. I'm hearing, we sang about forgiveness. I, I hear about your forgiveness. God, I, would you forgive me, Lord? Jesus, you promised that you could change me from the inside out. I don't know how you do that, but I want you to do it. I ask you to do it. Lord, I invite you. Come. Come give me a new heart. Come give me your spirit to live inside of me, to bring a new life to me. God, I'm here. And I want to follow you for the rest of my life. I trust you. 
And I put my hope in you from this day forward, Lord Jesus. My life belongs to you. I'm surrendering to you today. So Kevin's going to lead us in one last song. Hey, if you're watching on a live stream and, or you're here this morning and you took a step towards God just now and just opened your life to him, what, what, what a revolution has begun inside of you. So we'd love to be able to encourage you in that answer any questions, talk to you further. If you're here in the auditorium with us, I'll be hanging out in the front. You can come ask a question, share a thought with me. If you're watching by live stream, you're welcome to contact us at the church office. We'll have one of the pastors get back with you and answer any questions, be whatever help we can be as God starts this revolution on the inside and he works it out through our lives. Amen. Let's sing together. No turning back, no turning 
God, we thank you that you have delivered us from a body of death. You have made us no longer slaves to sin, but slaves to righteousness. And so through the power of your spirit, Lord, help us to set our minds not on the things of this world, not on the things of the flesh, but to set our minds upon you. Renew our minds. God, that we would know what is your perfect and complete will, what is good and acceptable and perfect as we live lives of worship this week. We thank you that you have called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. You have given us hearts of flesh and broken hearts of stone. God, we need you this week. And so help us now as we head out. In your name we pray.